Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 16. My next guest is Sam Perez. She offers a unique perspective to help reduce the stigma of addiction. Sam is a television news reporter who loves telling stories. This passion led her to the University of Georgia, where she graduated with degrees in journalism and Spanish. When she's not cheering on the dogs or filming news stories, you can find her trying out a new restaurant. This passion for food comes from her parents who opened a restaurant and bakery, Deviate Kitchen, in Lexington, Kentucky. Deviate Kitchen hires people in recovery from substance use disorder. Sam discovered that this community of people had stories of strength, grit, and hope. In an effort to share their experience and start the conversation about the opioid epidemic, Sam wrote, Deviate from Denial, Erasing the Stigma of Addiction and Recovery Through Inspirational Stories. Take a listen. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And by the way, everyone, congratulations to Sam for launching her new book, which we'll get into a little bit later. Thank you. I'm excited. So let's get started. How did addiction affect you in your life that led to your new book called Deviate from Denial, Erasing the Stigma of Addiction and Recovery Through Inspirational Stories? Yeah, so it all started with my dad. Uh, him and my mom got married really young. My, uh, They met when my mom was 18 and my dad was 20, and they got married not long after. And very early on in their marriage, my dad went through recovery. So he realized that he had a problem with alcohol. My mom actually helped him realize that. And uh, they went through AA basically together. My mom's not sober, but she did play the role of a partner of someone going through recovery. And mm-hmm. it was a journey, you know, they both took together and it really was a pivotal part of their marriage. It, it really defined the early part of their marriage and how they grew together. Uh, wow. So then I was born and my dad has two decades of sobriety under his belt. So I have never known him not sober, uh, but it's it's always been a part of his story. It was never something that was hidden. It was always talked about as I was growing up and it was something I was familiar with. Um <laughs> So that was just a huge part of my growing up is knowing that was, you know, something about my dad, his favorite color was red, you know, he loved food and he was in recovery. And so when I was a senior in high school in 2017, my parents kind of drew on their past experience and they opened a restaurant called Deviate Kitchen uh, Mm -hmm. and it employs people in recovery from substance use disorder. That's amazing. And so tell us a little bit about this restaurant, what makes it so unique and kind of how you all played a part in this. Yeah. So my parents, they actually met in a restaurant way back when they (laughs) have been in restaurants their whole life. Um, And they owned their own restaurant actually in my hometown of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh And the restaurant industry is one that breeds partying by nature. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are late hours, alcohol is often involved, mm-hmm. the shifts don't usually start until later in the morning. All these factors kind of contribute to this partying culture that's existed in the restaurant industry for at least as long as my parents have been involved in it. And, sure. you know, that was a lifestyle they were familiar with until mm-hmm. my dad went through recovery. Um, but what they noticed through owning their own restaurant was that that 
partying was starting to change. It was starting to look different. And in a few years, they lost 13 employees. Um, and that wasn't because the employees had been fired uh, or they'd moved on to another job. It was because they died from alcohol and drug overdoses. Oh and my God. so my parents realized, you know, this is different. This is a problem. We have got something huge on our hands. And mm -hmm. as the opioid epidemic continued to grow, they wanted to do something and they wanted to try and help in their own way. So they opened a restaurant. Um, I mentioned it. It's called Deviate Kitchen and it employs mm -hmm. people in recovery. So 100% of the people that work there um, are in recovery and, and they're able to get a second chance through that restaurant. So tell me a little bit about that culture, kind of what would it be, what's it like for folks working there? It's such a yeah. unique environment. Yeah, well, it is really unique. And I think it's so cool because everyone is able to hold themselves accountable and hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest parts of Deviate's culture is transparency. So mm -hmm. everything is out in the open and everyone is able to know each other's stories, to lean on each other when they're going through, you know, life, because life is hard and mm -hmm. they're all fighting that everyday fight to stay sober and they're encouraging each other in that. And they're able to be honest about the hard parts, you know, because it is hard. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. It's just a culture that breeds that honesty and that transparency. Um, and that's something that my parents, you know, wanted from the get go. And it's something that they've really been able to work on. They've been able to modify the business model and just make sure that transparency is a, a key part of that. And so what would you say the mission is for this restaurant? Or for the mission family? is to provide a second chance for people in recovery. Um, because, you know, we as a community, as a society say that we, you know, we don't want people to be using, we want people to contribute to society. We want people mm -hmm. to be healthy. Uh, we want people to get sober, but there are these people out there that want that they want recovery. They want sobriety, right. but you know, maybe they hit a bump along the way. They might have a record and they can't get a job. And if you can't get a job, how are you supposed to stay sober? How are you supposed to work a recovery program? Um, mm -hmm. And my parents noticed that. They realized the problem, and they wanted to try and provide a solution. So that's what they're trying to do is give people a second chance. That's amazing. And so from, from your perspective, growing up around folks really trying on recovery, because many folks come raised in a family where they don't see this side right and you were able to to see all these folks and meet these folks right so what was that like for you growing up around folks who are probably very inspiring oh my goodness absolutely uh you know nothing short of inspiring it, it it's been an incredible experience and um it's something that's really opened my eyes so mm -hmm. again i always knew my dad was in recovery and that was always a part of his story um but then getting to meet other people with their own experiences was really eye-opening <laughs> i feel like i learned very quickly that addiction affects everyone and you know mm -hmm. someone who is in recovery doesn't look a certain way they don't necessarily act a certain way um it could literally be anyone and um i also i always joke but when your parents both you know are their own bosses and they own their own restaurant mm -hmm. uh that restaurant quick, quickly becomes a family restaurant or a family business. And so my brother and I were, <laughs> you know, it was, it was such a big part of our lives growing up. We've, 
you know, got to meet so many people. We've sat through so many conversations between my parents. We've really gotten a, a very up close glimpse at everything that's happening and we've been a part of it. Um, oh, so yeah. thankfully we've met some really amazing people with really inspiring stories. So that kind of leads us into your book. Yeah. Right. And so being around all these folks, is that what really inspired you? How did you get to writing this book? And what was Absolutely. hard about that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was hard, but also really rewarding. So I am a journalist um, and I'm a TV news journalist in Columbia, South Carolina, but this is something I've always known I wanted to do since middle school. Um, mm -hmm. Since seventh grade, I knew this was the path I wanted to take. And with that means that I love telling stories. And um, I also loved growing up with Deviate and with my parents and their job. And I loved hearing from these people that they were employing and that they were working with. Um, and I saw that there were so many good stories worth telling that really need to be told. Mm -hmm. And what's so funny is I feel like my parents had this passion and without me even realizing through meeting these people, through hearing about my parents' experience and really, you know, being a big part of that and, sure. and just seeing it up close, it this passion really became my own. Um, you know, it kind of transferred onto me and I figured, you know, I'm not a business person, so mm -hmm. I can't open a restaurant to hire people in recovery. Uh, but I can use my unique passion and gifts to, you know, help others. And so I decided to do that by sharing stories in the form of a book. So what was the most challenging in writing these stories? Yeah. Most challenging, I would say, number one, just um, finding the time. So I sure. started this journey. Um, I was a senior in college. And mm -hmm. uh, what I very quickly realized is this is a huge subject to tackle. There are not enough pages in the world to sure. cover everything, you know, that mm -hmm. we could talk about. So just finding the time was hard. But then also, I mean, I am so grateful for all the people that trusted me. They were vulnerable with me and they let mm -hmm. me share their mm -hmm. stories. And so many of the stories are, you know, they're so uplifting and they're inspiring and they're hopeful. And, uh, you know, they show just this strength and grit that so many people in recovery have. Right. But they also get into the nitty gritty parts of people's lives. And there is devastation and there is heartbreak that's a part of the stories. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, listening to those stories and really digging into them, especially for, you know, when they were about people that I really do care about, that sure. was challenging. Um, you know, it was hard to hard to hear, hard to write, and hard to feel like I was doing it justice. But um, I'm so glad that I got the chance to do that. I think that's an, a very inspiring thing. And what's so great is that you don't actually have to be in recovery to be an advocate in recovery. Absolutely. Right. Um, and you do have a unique perspective because you're surrounded by folks in recovery in this almost micro community at DV8. Um, so a little bit about the book. The title has the word erase, erasing the stigma. Um, how do you think this book can help erase the stigma? Yeah, I think. I mean, in short, just by getting that conversation going. So addiction <laughs> is something that more people are starting to talk about because the opioid epidemic is literally killing people every single day. So Hundreds. it's mm -hmm. starting to become a part of the conversation, but 
it's also something that's still so almost taboo. It seems like we sweep it under the rug and I get it. I mean, <laughs> addiction is messy. It is, like I said earlier, I mean, it's heartbreaking and there's so much, you know, devastation that comes along with it. And so I understand why we don't want to talk about it and why it's hard to talk about it. But in order to really work toward a solution, we need to get it out there. We need to be having tough conversations. And I hope that my book is, you know, maybe the first step in doing that for some people, because until we really work to understand the opioid epidemic, to understand substance use disorder and to mm -hmm. understand the perspectives that people in recovery have, until we do that, we're not going to get better. We're going to, you know, the problem's getting worse right now. So we need to change something. And I think the first step to doing that is, you know, just to talk about it, just to try and learn from each other. Absolutely. Um, you did a lot of research, right? Mentioning the opiate crisis and kind of the language around addiction and possibly some of the interventions. What are the top three things that you found that stand out for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I feel like I came to really understand kind of how the opioid epidemic came to be. Mm -hmm. um, the main thing being just, I kind of took a deep dive into pain and the perception of pain and mm -hmm. how pain management really has changed over, you know, the past few years, the past decades. Sure. Um, and I think it's really interesting to kind of follow that journey and, and see how we turn to medication in a way that, you know, we hadn't before and how we view pain now differently than we had before. Um, so I think kind of realizing that and understanding that was definitely something that I found really interesting and that I kind of dive into in my book. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing that I think a lot of people sometimes have a hard time with is that addiction really, I mean, drug use and addiction, it changes the brain and it changes mm -hmm. how people act. And it's not as simple as just, oh, just, you know, just quit it because you want to, because you want it bad enough, you can just stop. Mm -hmm. um, that's not how it works. It literally alters someone's brain chemistry. And it is a very, very real disease that people need, you know, treatment for and they need help with. Um, and then that kind of brings me to, I guess, the third point of research that I really found mm -hmm. interesting is that there are so many different um, opportunities for treatment out there. And it is not a one size fits all answer. There are so many different resources um, and people have different ones that work for them. And even that is something that I think is stigmatized. Certain people, you know, might not think that a, a treatment method works, but, you know, for someone, maybe it does. And so I think just realizing that it's not one size fits all is important. And that's something I kind of realized through the research and the interviews that I did. I think that's fascinating. Um, there's so many things that nowadays, to your point, are much more accessible. We have the internet. You can reach people in places by a stroke of a, a button, basically, on your keyboard. Um, and you can access different kind of resources and that kind of stuff, and resources are much more available. Um, so when you've done this research and knowing your upbringing and kind of the impact that these folks' have, stories have, have affected you in your storytelling, how has that changed you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's such a good question because I really think it's just changed my view on, on everything really. And not even just related to substance use disorder, but just in general, I think it's so easy to write off someone or something that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, but really taking the time to sit down with someone to understand where they're coming from, to hear their perspective is 
so, so important. Um, and I think it's interesting because as, you know, as related to addiction, I went into it thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm so non-judgmental, and I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that my perspective is one I want to share with people. And I think people should adopt the way that I think. Um, and, you know, I kind of went into it with that mentality of like, oh, I, I think I have a pretty good grasp on how to challenge my own thought process and really, mm-hmm. you know, try and destigmatize this. And as I was writing, I, you know, kind of was able to challenge a few of my own thoughts and actually take a look at, you know, kind of what I thought and how I felt and really sit there and come to terms with, okay, this is how I feel about something. Why is that? And, you know, Mm. is that Mm -hmm. how I should feel? And so I think that the whole book writing process was honestly a really kind of humbling experience Mm. uh, because Mm -hmm. I think it, it forced me to really sit down and think about why I think what I think. Um, and I, I've done that even not through book writing, but also just meeting people and growing up around Deviate is I feel like constantly I'm hearing new things that make me, you know, they just open my eyes and make me realize something I never had before. So the whole journey with Deviate, book writing, and even before that has really just shaped me in that way. I think, you know, how can you not be touched by these kind of experiences for sure? And to talk about such a deadly topic um, that is epidemic you know, uh, hundreds of people are dying a day, as you know. Um, So it's beautiful to kind of hear how you challenge your thought process, because that's what this is about, right? This book is really to challenge and to educate kind of how we all view as a country, how we all view from a medical side of addiction and the social impacts of stigma and addiction. Um, some of the hardest challenges is to get access to treatment, whatever that might be, even though we have this technology, you know, but to access and not feel shame, to get access, right? I would imagine some of the stories talk about shame and how they've gone through it. Can you share a little bit about some of that perspective? Yeah, so it is something that is so stigmatized. And I think that's why a lot of people really have a hard time coming to grips with, um, you know, either something this substance use disorder that they're experiencing themselves. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, in my book, I share perspectives of family members and loved ones who have had people they know in their life that, you know, have been addicted. And they carry this incredible shame too, a lot of times, which is heartbreaking to hear, but I get it. Um, and it's because that stigma, I mean, it exists. And like I said, it's something, the whole topic is something that people just don't want to talk about. Um, and so people carry around this shame and this guilt and that is not productive. I mean, if people feel like they have to hide what they're going through, um, because of this shame, then they're not going to get better because, the whole idea of recovery at deviate, I mentioned it's this, you know, atmosphere and this culture of transparency, sure. but that's also, that's reflected. Um, or I guess that's implemented at deviate because that's what works when it comes to recovery. That's what, <laughs> you know, the 12 step program is based on and AA meetings. And not that those are always the best options for people, but mm-hmm. I mean, just having a, a community where you can be transparent and you can be honest is absolutely crucial. And when you have this shame and this guilt that you're feeling, you try and hide stuff. And that's never healthy for people, you know, that are struggling and that really are trying to get sober. Absolutely. And to your point with DV8, you know, that's a community and it's called connection, right? The opposite of addiction is connection in many, many ways. 
and to have a place for folks to be themselves, to be authentic, to work hard, to be accountable, um, but also to be supported without being judged, without being rejected. And that's a place of work. Are there other deviate restaurants throughout the country is that what's the next step for this restaurant do you think yeah yeah so right now we have two different locations in lexington mm -hmm. um and so we my family opened the last one in august so that's going really oh, well wow, it's a little bit great. bigger um and there my parents hope is really just to spread the message they went through a lot of trial and error when it came to creating this employment model and creating deviate um and they kind of made mistakes along mm -hmm. the way sure. and then improved on it and they're hoping that by sharing their employment model and by sharing how the business operates and how they're able to successfully employ second chance workers uh, that maybe other businesses will adopt a similar process because their perspective which i believe in is that everyone can do something to help um, you know, it might look different for different people. Maybe it's sure. not opening a restaurant, but maybe it's just employing one person who's struggling. So they have, before COVID, they were doing workshops uh, as a part of what they call soulful enterprise, where they were educating business owners wow. about how to employ people in recovery. Um, and that's on a pause. It still hasn't sure. come back after the pandemic, but that's their hope is to bring that back. And, you know, just to tell more people about it, because this is something that they think really could be effective in, in helping people. I think that's amazing. One question that I forgot to ask is, Deviate, where did that name come from? Literally, it's D with the letter V and the number 8, correct? Yeah. Deviate Kitchen. Where did that title come from? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people don't really understand it, um, but it actually just means the word deviate. So the idea is that these employees are deviating from their former lifestyle and they're they're trying uh -huh. to redirect their lives and, and move to a better future. Um, and so my parents were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and they went through a lot of different names and they, they landed <laughs> on deviate and then they were trying to figure out a way to make that work graphically. And they were playing uh -huh. around with it with some of their friends that helped us design a logo. And um, they came up with the acronym and I kind of like that. That it's a little bit of a hidden message you kind of don't realize sure. and so I kind of nod to that in my book where I actually wrote mm -hmm. out the word deviate and let's talk about your title of the book so part of it has the, the kitchen name mm -hmm. but you have deviate from denial erasing the stigma of addiction and recovery through inspirational stories where did that whole name come from yeah for you yeah so I wanted to incorporate deviate kitchen sure. um but i also wanted to separate the book since I, I do the majority of it focuses on my parents and on deviate employees but i also brought in my own research i talked to people outside of deviate so i didn't want it to be necessarily too correlated um sure. so that's why i kind of adjusted the spelling of deviate and then I love alliterations, um, and so I wanted to try and incorporate that. And then when I thought of the idea of my book, which is really just getting that conversation going to erase the stigma, I thought about it. And, you know, addiction and, and its effects and how it really can ruin lives is something that we often deny um, when we maybe know someone's struggling or when we ourselves are struggling, we a lot of times deny it. And so I want to deviate from that denial. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's how I landed on that title. And then when it came to choosing the subtitle, mm -hmm. um, since you don't really understand exactly what the book talks about based on the title, I wanted to have a longer subtitle sure. to kind of explain what people would find 
And um, addiction is something that carries a lot of weight. And mm-hmm. the book definitely does have its heavy moments. That said, uh, the focus of it is hope and that there is this mm-hmm. awesome life um, in recovery. And there are so many people that inspired me with their strength and their determination. Mm-hmm. And those are the stories I share in my book. And so I didn't want to scare people away that, oh, you know, this is all doom and gloom. We're talking about addiction. It's like, okay, we're talking about addiction. We're talking about the hard parts, but these are inspiring stories. And I wanted to make sure that was clear. Because that's, that's part of this process. Many, as you know, die. However, there are several people that survive this um, and that, that people do recover. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting from you is that even though this is hard as shit, you can recover. And here are stories of real folks doing really hard work, doing this work, but staying in a community and staying connected, not in the necessarily traditional ways, but in a very new way that sounds like it's effective, it's full of love and hope, um, and which I think is amazing. My last question for you is, you know, how... What do you, well, let me reframe this. For those who don't know a lot about addiction. First of all, I really tried to give a comprehensive look at addiction and how it affects people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, how the opioid epidemic came to be, I really try and explain it for people that might not, you know, understand, might not have this background knowledge, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also my urge to people who might think, oh, you know, I don't know someone who's in recovery or who's addicted. Sure. Um, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but that's probably not true. Mm-hmm. And if it is true right now, based on the direction we're headed as a country and, you know, as a world, uh, that probably won't be true in the future if it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone uh, is, you know, addiction affects everyone. It does not discriminate. No one is immune. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really important that we, again, get this conversation going because, what we're doing right now isn't working and we need to all, you know, kind of saddle ourselves with this knowledge. We need to challenge our thought process. Um, and that's a job that everyone is tasked with because everyone is going to know someone who's addicted, if not now, um, in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, even celebrities in in our entertainment, um, we are hearing people losing their lives with addiction almost every day. So to your point, I think addiction awareness is getting some mo- movement along with mental health because the two kind of work hand in hand as well. Yeah. Um, you know, is there anything else? I th- this book and interviewing with you is like a call to action for folks. You know, not it's not just about, hey, read Sam's book, although do read Sam's book. Um, but it's a call to action. It's like we all can have an impact you know, if we ask the question, what can we do? If we ask the question, who do we speak to? Um, do you offer resources or anything like that on, on how people can get more information or be proactive if they have no idea where to go? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I offer different overviews of treatment options for people looking to, you know, enter this recovery journey. And so mm -hmm. that's something that you should, you know, that I hope people know if, if they're trying to go through recovery, but also other people who may be a support system um, for people trying to get sober. Um, just having a background knowledge of what options exist, I think is really important. Um, but then also, I really do think that kind of the simple answer to all of this, not that there is, you know, sure. one easy, simple mm -hmm. answer, but is just, let's just, you know, get to know what people are going through and let's just understand different perspectives because I think it's really easy. And it's funny, you mentioned celebrities and I think a lot of times people tend to write off celebrities who overdose or who have been open about a struggle with addiction is, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, they have it made, they have this money, they have this fame and the success. Why would they want to, you know, waste their life away sure. by using drugs or whatever it may be. And I mean, I think that's a perfect example that it's not that simple. And you know, people don't want to do this. They don't want to get addicted. Um, it's this struggle that they're really going through. And I, I just think we need to be learning from people and be talking about it and try and understand and try and challenge our thought processes. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So as a reporter, has this, this process shifted what you like to report on? Absolutely. It has absolutely made me more interested in getting to know the communities that I'm a part of and what their recovery um, community looks like. So I'm very familiar with what it looks like in Lexington because uh, that's where, you know, Deviate is. And my parents sure. are plugged into that community and I grew up there. But then I went to college in Georgia in mm -hmm. Athens and I got to know the recovery community there. And now I'm recently relocated to Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm, I'm trying to do that here because it looks very similar in a lot of places, but how it actually functions, um, you know, is different. And there are different people to meet, different key players, um, different stories to hear. And mm -hmm. I think that by being a reporter, I have a really unique opportunity to come in to get to know these communities Absolutely. and to shed light on them because people are doing really important work, whether that's the recovery advocates trying to get people to stay sober or whether it's the, you know, regular everyday person just fighting that everyday fight. Um, so I'm really grateful to be able through my job to explore those communities. And it's absolutely a focus that I have and something that I want to keep reporting on and want to keep getting to know. And I think that's great. I mean, that is a prime example of using your platform. It's not like you have to recreate all these different aspects. It's sometimes just being curious and going, I wonder what that's like for this community. I wonder what I can do where I live. So I think that's a, a beautiful model of kind of how you're taking action. And I'm curious about this book just launched recently. Um, any more books in the making? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. I would say, you know, never say never. I've loved sure. this book writing process. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't think there are enough, you know, pages in the world to ever write as much as I'd like to about this. So, uh, you know, right now I'm enjoying uh, this book launch and, and kind of yes. having it out and trying to get acclimated to my job here in sure. South Carolina. But, you know, who knows? And Maybe it won't be my own book, but I think my parents, um, you know, who knows what's in, in the future for them, but I'd love to help them kind of share their own story. I share a part of their story in my book, but I think they have their own stories to tell that would be an awesome book. So 
that's my challenge to them. We'll see. <laughs> well, we will definitely stay tuned. And it was an absolute pleasure to have you here, can, seeing all the amazing things you're doing and the stories that you are telling. Um, for more information about Sam, please refer to my podcast descriptor where you can reach her and the book, Deviate from Denial, Erasing the Stigma of Addiction and Recovery Through Inspirational Stories is available on all the platforms where you can get books like Amazon, I would imagine, as well. Um, yes. So thank you again, Sam. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon. Celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon. <laughs>